Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S-Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this. Anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think Do you think one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-Pod thing from Great Big Owl. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, this is part two of my interview with Steve Dawson, which also includes the show's regular section, Change of Character. If you haven't listened to part one, then go back and check it out. And if you have, then welcome to part two. Enjoy. writing a film at the moment yeah, or you've yeah. written a film haven't you written hand, you've written in, wait, sorry wait, yes now waiting for lockdown to end <laughs> <laughs> how did you find that sort of character and writing process compared to sitcom is it so different it's got to last i think film that in truth i think they're all the same i i think writing in film nine times out of ten you're definitely in much more real world and I think we found ourselves, particularly in early drafts, writing a character who was maybe a bit too big. And to hold somebody for an hour and a half, you, you have to care. And, and you know, it's, it's a criticism in a weird way, I think I made when I was younger, of films that are brilliant, but that I didn't appreciate at the time, which was, you know, A Fish Called Wander or something. When you've come out of watching Python films, which are short, sketchy pieces, and you're like, this is amazing. To watch a Python thing that isn't as gag-packed and as is quite disappointing... And I, I remember feeling that watching that film going, I came into this thinking I was going to get Life of Brian and I got what is more of a drama. Sure. And But you go, but that's because you've got to pull people in and you've got to care about these characters. And, you know, and actually compared to most other films, it's still much more out there and much more characterful and, and, and whatever. But we're, we're moving from sort of there's sitcom and then, you know, what what we're making in film is family friendly. So... You still, we're still doing jokes. We're still practicing that our craft in that way, but we are making a something you have to care about, and so that's that's the biggest shift for us. I think is we always do that in our sitcoms anyway, and I think there's a big myth, and I I would I hate it when any drama writer makes a comment about comedy being lighter or or sillier. It's like I've never started a comedy project without really drilling down into why it's emotional, why it's beautiful, why it's important. It annoys me when. You get those comedies, and they're like, "Oh no, no, they're comedy dramas," and it's like, "No, they're they're sitcoms. They're just sitcoms with pathos, like all good sitcoms yeah. have." You watch shows like Frasier, for example. Yeah, and there is so much heart. There are episodes that will make you cry at the end. Oh God, yeah, and I just think, I, if I could remove one thing from this industry, it's the phrase comedy drama, because I think it's okay for dramas to 
drama, good dramas are funny. I love good dramas. You know, there's there's always light in Broadchurch and and uh, you know any any solid drama has funny moments because it's real and people are funny in real life or funny incidents happen. That yet at the same time, comedies should be dramatic. They should mean something. They should they should have a point. So, and you know that's that. Actually, I said that. That's not true. I also do miss the comedies where it's just out and out i'm just gonna make you laugh half an hour and no one really cares but like the like the mighty boosh kind of yeah exactly exactly i don't you don't we don't want to lose that so your film is a family film in that i guess in that mold of sort of paddington or that kind of shape we we go between stools because obviously we love the stuff we've done in the past peter seraphine it show mitch on web all of those kind of cool i guess at the time particularly more edgy things and also when we did proper edgy channel four shows in the past that you know we've done a lot of those at the same time you know we love doing Anton Deck and we've been doing this been lucky to be doing this ongoing series with uh, Anton Deck where they play characters and it's yeah or play play versions themselves but we they we have these little they're called sketches five minute sketches but I I as a sketch purist feel like they're little stories <laughs> because the show would call them sketches because they are five minutes but they are plotted they are story driven the first series we did with chris chibnall from um uh from doctor who's been doing broad church and doctor who um so it was genuinely genuinely he was in the room with us and he we had the best time oh uh, great. with him and anton deck and uh him and his uh script supervisor uh or script assistant friend whatever the word is sam who works at the company with him uh, who's also brilliant and smart and she's a genius and they they both are these geniuses who just said one or two really simple things that really made those driving stories like we you know we had this sort of idea that the original one came from this concept of who shot simon cowell mm-hmm. it was it was like you get the story straight away we know who simon cowell is we know lots of people don't like him um somebody shot him who is it is probably everyone <laughs> and, and and so that sort of set up but then chris chibnall came in and just one one particular thing that really helped drive it is he just went make it a fugitive story M- make it like the mo- like everything else we had was great and it was a bit of a whodunit and there was some drama in there but it wasn't much but as soon as you throw Anton Deck into a situation where they cannot return to normal life till they solve this we care we care we're involved and I know anyone watching it will be like this was a sketch in a show that was stupid and silly and you go it is but we cared and across every episode there would be kids writing in with um or drawing pictures or whatever everyone guessing at who the who had shot Simon Cowell and really wanting to know because Chris had given us that brilliant like in on it and I think we we always try and apply that to any show we want so we, we'd written a lot of family stuff through yeah. that and and even doing some others or comic relief sketches and stuff that we do that um you you have to sort of engage with the audience and tell a story because people don't sustain you know well particularly on the long comic relief sketches or uh, children in need sketches where they can be like up to seven to ten minutes because you've got so many celebrities to fit in so um and i i we did a draft of a it was a star wars sketch for children in need oh yeah with a lot of the star wars people but huge huge other people other people getting involved and i think the original draft of the sketch was 29 pages because you don't know who can make it oh my god but you're just trying to write in everyone's voice and trying to make it as appealing to everyone as possible and yeah and that's that's the other thing is like you know if you're a writer then i think it's much easier if you're a performer writing a character because you know you've got to make an audience laugh and it's the weight is on you as a writer you don't feel that weight as much and i think it's important to be remember that the weight that's on you is when you hand that script to somebody and they read it and you've got to make them really want to play that character yeah so i think particularly on a big family friendly thing like this film 
our goal if we want to get the biggest names we can in it is to make a film that really they want, you want to, to do. play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Hugh, Hugh Grant playing the villain in Paddington 2. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So good. So good. So um, who did shoot Simon Cowell in the end? Uh, to everyone's upsetness, it was Pudsey the dog. <laughs> Pure, purely for the reason that uh, we just wanted... The, you know you get those reveal shots where you see who did it? Yes. We, we went around the house about who it could be because I hate having to put the logic on who done it. It's always, <laughs> it's always like, they all did it or one yeah. of them... It was the most obvious person, or it was the least obvious person. It's like there's only so many ways you can go. And no one had even considered the dog. And we put loads of references in, like, bad dog puns through it as well, that just look like jokes. Oh, no. Nice. To be like, we, we have thought about this. And, and also, the, log- the logic was sound um, in that he wanted his own TV show and he was fed up of van- uh, uh, You know, he wanted to take over ITV. Um, but. But what was funny, the main thing I just we we just wanted when it was like being shot was that reveal moment was you see the gun on the table and you know some we knew all the way through someone had stolen that gun but we didn't know who took it yeah and put it back there and to see just up until no one's known anything different to see a dog's paw come in and just slide it onto the table was was the um the most joyous bit of idiocy uh, and, and Twitter was full of just people going that's awful or that's brilliant <laughs> it's just like oh yeah i haven't laughed so much or how dare you i got invested <laughs> in this oh that's, that's great it's a room divider but each time we've had real problems like the, we did that that was stupid the second one that we did was each one's been a whodunit and it was the reveal that it was cat Dealey because she was upset that the boys had gone off to have fame mm-hmm. and weren't bringing her along for the ride which was great if you are a 40 year old like me um, hey I, watch... I watched SMTV live come on okay well fine okay if you are a 30 or 40 year old <laughs> or older um, then it's great there, there's a lot of there's a lot of 11-year-olds watching that or five-year-olds going, what is going on? Oh, um, who is that lady? That makes me sad. And then um, we didn't learn our lesson from that because the one after that, it was... <laughs> the, the, the one after that, uh, it was Noel Edmonds had done it and he was upset <laughs> because they were stealing all of his jokes. Which, again, really beautifully tied up in the real world. But um, there's, there's lots of people, lots of like 12-year-olds looking at him going... Why Why did Aslan do it? Why did this old Aslan do it? So oh, bizarre. they know who Noel Edmonds is, surely. Yeah, he's the, yeah, the deal or no deal guy. Yeah. <laughs> the one who was in the, the jungle for oh, yeah, a little true. bit. The jungle, for... Yeah, because they loved him so much and he stayed in the jungle for long enough that everyone got to know him. And I, I think you, I think we're missing a bit of that madness of trying things. Like, I missed, I missed Don't Scare the Hair. I think, I think... We need more scenes like that. We had so much of that in the eighties, and and it doesn't mean you're going to hit with the right show straight away. But I think if you if you keep looking for it and don't get, to, I, I think it's easy that commissioners get scared and go, "Well, that madness didn't work, so let's not try any more madness." And you go, "Maybe, maybe try it, see what happens." Definitely. Well, one thing I would really love to talk to you about because obviously you've worked on so many different shows um yeah and one of my favorite shows of the last 15 years perhaps is the peter serafinowicz show i love that show so much and i would love to know what what that was like because that was a sketch show 
not since Big Train had I seen a show that was as bizarre and just just so sort of lo- some of the sketches just are so brilliant because they make me go how does anyone come up with that like that's such a mad idea i wouldn't have even yeah. begun i'm thinking of things like the dickens fruit corners because <laughs> did you work on that from the very were you in from that from the start yeah we we, we were in from quite early on we'd, we'd been working with we were connected with James Serafinovich for a sketch show that we tried to do that you'll you'll tell the era this was written in called Happy Slapping um, oh, wow. that we were developing up. Yeah, uh, that was all supposed to be like motivated from phone cameras, and it was when everyone was getting excited about phone cameras rather than like now after coronavirus has happened and everyone getting bored of phone cameras. But the idea <laughs> was that you'd shoot something that was sort of it was like there was a reason to be watching. It was CCTV. It was whatever, or phone cameras, or you know, phone reason, and um. And we got on really well with James, and James is like uh, an extra Dawson brother. He's he's like one of us, and and we're really close. And he's and therefore sort of when the Peter Serafinovich show happened, he suggested us to come in and write on it because we'd had so much fun doing it. Mm. Um, we met Peter, and Peter was like again just one of the nicest humans you can possibly meet. With the writers' room, was that were you all in a room together coming up with the show, or was it a kind of were you all working room? remotely sometimes and then occasionally having that how did you sort of put the show together uh we as the dawson brothers we um really wanted to make it work so there'd always be these days where we'd sort of or half days where we'd meet up with peter and sort of chat through ideas and we would just go in so overarmed with concepts each time because it was just like <laughs> if if we have like 50 things and and he says no to all of them. most of them. There'll be one or two, and we'll leave the meeting feeling good about ourselves. So we went in so overrun because we were like, we have to win this. Mm. And as a result, I think we became more and more part of the the sort of core group where we'd hang out with Peter James and uh, and anyone else who came in. So we'd just sit down, and we there were so many other brilliant writers on it. Um, so we we're very lucky to to be part of that. Do you remember what sketch you're most proud of that you took to? to peter yeah i think we enjoyed we always worked enjoyed working with when they came up with the butterfield character we enjoyed working with that everyone does but i think we did a stupid one that was just um like a an old sort of 80s uh safety video public information film yeah public information film as as were a lot of them uh that was um about switching off your poison sockets and making which was like the idea that you know and normally it's like you know There'd be those old ones and it'd be like, you've left your house, you've gone into the, uh, you put the dog to sleep or whatever, you've, you've done this, but yeah, you forgot yeah. to lock the door. Remember, robbers are everywhere, sort of thing, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. we had yeah. a version of that that was like, um, you've locked your windows, you've you've turned off your bandsaw, you've hidden your gold. Yeah, yeah. And then it was, but you forgot to turn off your poison socket. And there's a video and it's just a shot of a man <laughs> dead next to a, po- a socket that seems to be oozing poison. For no reason. I just like the concept that everyone's got a poison sock and we, oh God, yeah, I must remember to send that off. And then the caption was, uh, remember, poison sockets are full of poison. <laughs> and it's just a piece uh. of idiocy that I'm just like, I'm so <laughs> glad that this exists in the world. It, not not anyone else's favourite sketch, but just absolutely a, a joy to, to get to see happen. Did you write another one of my favourites, which was from the Christmas one, actually? Yeah. It's the uh, You've Passed the Test. Yes, yes. That was the test, Greg, and you failed. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, all right then. Greg, 
that's the nonchalant attitude we've been looking for. <laughs> you passed the test. Have I really? No, that was the <laughs> test! Uh, sort of very messy, confusing uh, piece about a, a guy in a job who's very unclear as to whether he's still in the interview or not, or whether this is still part of a test. You failed the test! Oh, and I had such high hopes for you! This is ridiculous! Congratulations. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You passed the test. Oh, for God's sake. No, it was, there was lots of fun to do that and dropping in stupid things for all the... You know, I remember sort of being in the room and chatting around the... Um, we did these master classes and there's one where um, it was Michael Caine teaching people acting and he was talking about how on camera... Uh, cigars don't look like cigars. They they look like sausages. And he holds up a cigar um, to to the film camera, and it cuts the film camera, and it it's a it looks like a sausage. Uh, it's just a sausage in his hand. And then he goes, "That's why um, when we uh, when but if we want to film a sausage, they look like cigars." So he's like, and he's got a sort of packet of sausages that look like cigars. I remember, and, yeah, there's the pack of cigars, um, and there's a pack of cigars. That's it. That looks like a pack of sausages. I mean, that must have been such a joy. To write. I tell you what, the best part, absolute best part of it was the filming because it went between two phases, one of which was our old school love because we made stuff at home and we loved just making stuff ourselves. Um, Peter and James were also doing that because Peter was did originally started this by doing own news. He went to America. He was doing pilot oh, yes. season. He yeah. shot a thing with Tim Heidecker that was brilliant and was the sort of the start of the the concept of this show. Amazing. And he, but he shot that and edited it. And, and there's one thing Peter's amazing at uh, after comedy and, and performance and voiceover. After all those things, there's one thing he's amazing at. <laughs> it's technology. He's so good at you know. Um, oh, really. He's so good at stuff at the moment. He, um, He's doing a project at the moment with like deep fake technology and stuff like this that he's just learned how to do himself. It's it's incredible. Um, and but you know he did all the music on Look Around You because he he asked Balls of Candor and they were busy, so he did, went oh I'll do just learn how to do soft synths myself. Wrote the music, had to do that. He's you know did so much of the graphics and overlays and stuff for for, for the original own uses. Um, and so they were used to making stuff themselves. Him and James and James would shoot it and stuff. And so when we did the live stuff, we would do some stuff where we'd be pretending to be the Beatles and we'd get to dress up and be in the background. Uh, we'd dress up and be in the background of the shots. but And we'd go and shoot on the rooftop and do a replica Beatles thing with a huge crew and all of that. And then we'd uh, shoot some other sketches in a basement that was just me, Peter, James, James filming. We'd be ne- literally na- nailing a backboard together ourselves to build the set, like making stuff out of like uh, printouts and stuff so all proper hook or by crook exactly all of those there was a basement to the studio to where we the to objective where we worked and it was literally us and at some point the costume pe- there'll be a costume person coming a makeup person coming but it was like a, sh- a short small film shoot um and i think i might have even been holding a boom for it or something i vaguely remember in some of these so it would just be all hands on deck and we do those cheaply so we could do the bigger expensive pieces because they were supposed to be like shot it's all the um all the stuff on own news where it was like walking down the um red carpet stuff we we did that all all ourselves sort of with james james filming and uh occasionally benedict wong would pop in and play a character or, or met barry or something so it was really that was that was always fun because it was proper let's make this short film and then massive production to make the rest of it that's terrific that's so good yeah, because I remember also you'd then be in a studio and there'd be a 
uh, we'd be in the studio shooting out in, I can't remember which studios it was. And in one room, they were, you know, they'd be shooting uh, Who Wants to Win £100, which was our 1940s thing. And in another room, they were building the Star Wars set. Um, suddenly, you get to walk around the Star Wars set. I've got amazing photos of, like, being dressed as a GI because we're in, in, in those scenes for the 1940s piece but walking around the Star Wars set and being shown around it and being like oh my god this is amazing um, so yeah incredible incredible stuff amazing many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, my darlings. It's me, Anna Mann, actress, singer, welder. Gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Mann, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. That's Talking to Actors on The Great Big Owl. I think that the Peter Sanfranovich show was a very lucky thing that we got involved in and there's so few chances for these sort of things to happen. And I'm I'm very sad that it didn't get a second series because I think it didn't do too badly. In fact, actually, the the bit that makes me really sad about it is that we they suggested that if we did better, if there was, for some reason there was any reason, we, we got a Christmas special to test it out. And if that did better, and if there's any reason we'd come back for a second series, yeah. And it did. It got really good viewers. And we also... Um, Peter won a rose door for it. Did he? Yeah, and you, you, you just think, why are you not bringing this back? Like, just for, for those God. two things. It's like, you said if we got more viewers, you'll bring it back. You you know, we added uh, an award and I think some other nomination, uh, like a BAFTA nomination or something like that to it. I can't remember what it was. And they still, they've still bit cold feet about it. And there's there were so many decisions that I think were wrong in that. We, when we first recorded it, and I'm, I'm sure lots of people who worked on it will also disagree with me entirely so I, this is just my point of view but sure we we recorded the first episode and we actually took it in and did a laughter track on it and i know so many people have an allergic reaction to laughter tracks but i it, however allergic you are to them i think they make your life better i think they make you enjoy a show more and i think they make you feel like you're part of something i don't think they're leading in the way that people think i think they're, they're leading when they are overdone or if they are copy and pasted which some are and that's when we really feel it. But no one, no one thinks about it that on 
so many entertainment shows that I've worked on. I've watched an editor copy and paste the laughter. No one sits and goes, no one sits and goes, oh my God, that entertainment show with an audience uh, is so canned because there's an audience there. And, <laughs> yeah. And what frustrates me is we write on a lot of shows where, and again, uh, uh, we learned this from Gwen Linehan, but you, you take out the laughs. We, we started doing it a long time ago in our sketch shows if we did laughter track where we would take out the laughs because if it sounds too sycophantic, because uh, people have come to see the stars or the show, then it it's too intense. Where it's, because everyone's excited to be there and that doesn't match how everyone is at home and you're trying to match everyone at home. So there's a skill in recording laughter track and, and Graham on the IT crowd, I saw him record a bit of the second series and he was great at it. He'd just repeat a scene until people were a bit bored of it. Um, <laughs> and then they would laugh naturally. That's fascinating. So, and I think, I do think everyone should be aware of that. We shouldn't be trying to go, look how funny I am. We should be going, match what the audience at home is thinking. And so we, we did these records and we started with Laughter Track and then somebody came along and said, we should get rid of that. I don't think, I did, Peter's comedy is nuanced. We're going to miss little jokes. And you go, but I think you can still get the little jokes when everyone's laughing at things and I think sometimes it stops it you know I remember watching Look Around You with a friend of mine who was a bit drunk after work uh drunk after not after work he hadn't been drinking at work but <laughs> after going to the pub yes and he thought it was real and you go I think if you put a laughter track not he, you shouldn't do on Look Around You but I think by putting a laughter track on something that's like a sketch show everyone I think it's warmer and we came off the back of another comedy show that had no laughter track when it was put on tv which was very real and very um, serious and uh, as a comedy show. And um, we just seemed very... It just, I think it just flattened everyone's evening because you sort of watch one thing the way you're enjoying the drama of it, but it was not funny, to watching another thing that has no laughter. And you're, you're like, I think if it had that, everyone would be so excited about it. So I'm a big advocate of the laughter track on certain things if done well. And I think it's a shame. And then we did it for the Christmas episode and it yeah, went down really, really well. It did. There's that particular sketch that yeah i i do i think perhaps i find it funnier because it's got that laughter track but it's the couple who never argue <laughs> yes frank and i never argue in the nine years we've been together we haven't had one single argument honest to god <laughs> more wine frank oh, oh not for him i think he's driving tonight i assume that's okay with you honey yeah of course of course uh i'll just switch to water please uh, can you tell me where your toilet is oh yeah it's just round to the left But the laughter that goes with that somehow makes it even even oh, yeah. funnier. That sketch would be bleak without the laughter in a weird way because it's a it's a really difficult couple who are really struggling, you know. <laughs> or, or the shouting would be followed by this echoey silence. It would be weird. Yeah. There's an SNL sketch. Uh, everyone loves saying their sketches were stolen by SNL if they can. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and there's a there's a if you watch uh, from a few series ago, a Jonah Hill episode, um, which pretty much opens with. Uh, a sketch where it's a guy and it's not with his wife it's with his boss mm-hmm. and every time something happens he goes out the room and screams really loudly and then comes back in and sits down and uh, and it's it the, the rhythm and the pattern is the same. it's and Jonah Hill did the voiceover on uh, the Look Around You DVD. Did he? So it's it's not like he's unaware of Peter's work. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and look, uh, none of none of me is saying anyone stole anything. I, I never think that happens. I, I think that's a very rare 
thing that people actually do. I think quite often what happens is somebody watches something and because it's not of note and, and it was like 10 years later, they forget they've seen it. And and I would prob- proffer that ours is not of note and it's lovely that you remember it. And he may have just had a vague <laughs> echo of it in the back of his mind. Yeah, I think it's the same reason music plagiarism happens, which is someone comes in and in their mind they're hearing a sort of they write a song and they've got a they've got a, some chord sequences that sounds like another band, and then the producer hear, hears it and in their mind they hear all the instruments that make it sound like the thing it's copying, but they didn't mean to. It's just like naturally your response is use everything from my memory to recreate a familiar sound, and and it becomes the same. So. Uh, I think it's called cryptomnemia. Uh, cryptomnemia. No, I can't say it. Cryptomnemia. It's got a name like that. And it's just that thing where you, you know, we only work from what we have in our mind. So sometimes that thing in our mind is exactly the thing we remember. When we made videos when we were young, I didn't think that they were plagiarized. What about, you know, 15 years later after we'd done them, I was watching back old Alexi Sale stuff. And they're all sketches from Alexi Sale. It's just that we didn't record them and watch them. We'd watch them once. <laughs> it would disappear in our minds and then we would never think of them again. And I think the difficulty is in the modern world, it's very easy to point at something and go, look, that's already on the internet. And you go, yeah, I know, but I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, Well, no that's like that, the classic so. commissioner thing of, uh, oh, we've already got this. Or this has already been done. The problem um, with anyone and anyone out there who's who's listening to this who wants to be a writer or is a performer trying to write and perform, um, sending stuff to anyone, commissioners, producers, you have to remember that sometimes they just don't like it. (laughs) And it's okay that they don't like it because it's not for them. But they want an excuse. But they have to give a reason. And they have to give a reason based on everything, every other bit of information they've given. And quite often, the hilarious thing is they will go for that as an excuse. Like, oh, I've sort of seen that before. So maybe... Because if you came with an amazing angle and a great start, like when we did Big School, Jack Whitehall was doing um, Bad Education. And no one, no one's turned to David Williams and said, "Uh, we've already got a school thing. You know, so it's... And also, um, Man Down was about, a te- you know, ha- had a teacher at the heart of it. So we had three of those coming up at the same time. But, but you know, no one's going to say no to Greg Davies. No one's going to say no to Jack Whitehall. And no one's going to say no to David Williams. And no one's upset by it. And what was so incredible about it was when our show went on, it was immediately trailed by going, and watch on BBC Three, watch um, Jack Whitehall's Bad Education. Or ours, his would be trailed by Watch Big School on BBC One. So you go, first of all, you're against it, and now you're actively promoting it. Yeah, well, the thing that's also quite funny about Bad Education is it's made by Tiger Aspect, who made Teachers. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there are, there are similarities in in Bad Education to Teachers. I know, that's, that is interesting. I mean, and, and leaning into the cryptomnemia thing, or whatever you want to call it. That probably wasn't intentional. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but I think it, yeah, I think it's not intentional. It's what people know, what people love. We do pull ourselves towards stuff that we we are attracted to good things. And I, you know, it's like in music. It's like if you write a dance track or you know, like an EDM track that sounds really different to all other EDM tracks, everyone's going to be, "What the hell is this? This is bored. This is going all over the place. The chords are mental." And whereas if you write something that's similar but like not that far off, and uh, but maybe just a bit of an advancement, then it's so much more exciting. And uh, you know, a really good example, uh, which I don't know if it. Leaned. I don't know the reasons for this, but it's 
is sort of there. I, two example when it comes to Harry Potter. Yes. Everyone loves Harry Potter. Harry Potter should exist. It's great Harry Potter exists. Well done, J.K. Rowling. Like, it's brilliant. And, and like, how good was that for kids reading? How, what, what a, an amazing legacy. What, what, how long is that going to live for forever? Yeah. It's not like no one had written a book about a, a wizard <laughs> kid. Like, oh, this is the first person who's come up yeah. with this kid. Just somebody, and it's, you know, and, and people sort of saying it touches on Hobbit stuff. And, but you go, that, but that's fine, isn't it? Like we, it makes for a good story, and we really enjoy it. And you know, the the, the interesting thing about Harry Potter is there's a the film Troll, which I need to actually properly watch. Oh yes. Do you know the plot of the film Troll? No, I don't think so. See, I didn't, and it doesn't sound like it would be this, but part of it involves this, and they have tried to sue her and failed. But it's about a family called the Potters, and the, the, uh, including their son Harry, no. and this Harry Potter. Um, there's an evil wizard that they're up against and they have to fight this evil wizard that he they learn magic to do. Anyway, um, it's not that's not the heart of the film, I don't think. And I think it's really subtle and you wouldn't necessarily think of the guy being called Harry Potter. You wouldn't think that... You wouldn't consider it wizards because it's sort of trolls and weird things. But I need to watch the film properly. That's one thing that's true. And also, weirdly, me and some friends had a cinema night not so long ago and somebody got talking about Sabrina and we watched the first pilot because it was on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And that's fascinating because... There's a sort of, you know, magic councils. There's, but there's also when she opens up books, and and ma- and there's magic stuff. All the pictures move like they do on, Ooh. they do in photos in Harry yeah. Potter. And there's so many elements of like l- having to learn magic, having to, you know, suddenly realizing you're part of a magic dynasty, and you go, you know, of course that's what Sabrina was. <laughs> you know, so when she came out with Harry Potter, it wasn't like. It wasn't like this groundbreaking thing. It, no, it was probably coming from so many places, but it should exist. <laughs> like it's brilliant, you know. It should exist. It's really interesting that. How, and, and how do we learn? Uh, the, the worst, the worst thing you can do. And I promise you, this is a killer for anyone in the industry. I remember hearing in the past a few comedians or the old person who who weren't that successful going, um, who would use phrases like, um, "I don't really watch TV," or "I don't really." Yeah. I don't really like comedy now or I don't really watch any modern comedy yeah. and you're like going well you fucking should because <laughs> one you're going to accidentally do something that someone else is doing two you need to know what the landscape's like so you're writing exactly. something that fits in the landscape if you're writing something from the 80s because that's when your love of comedy stopped that's terrible yeah. um, and if you can't support the comedy now how are you going to be part of that community like I think it's so important that we that you know what the lay of the land is because you will have to go into a meeting at some point and someone's going to go what do you think of Derry Girls? Yeah. And you're going to be like... I don't, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be office with, like, the producers or whatever, and you're going to have to be like, I um, it's I haven't actually watched it, but I bet it's great, you know. Mm. It's so important to know it, if nothing else, for networking, but also just so you absorb so much good stuff from other people's shows, you know? Well, absolutely. I mean, I um, when I started working in TV production, uh, my first work experience was uh, was at Hattrick, and I, I just wrote off to them. And then they were like, oh, yeah, you know, come for a week. And when I met with the office manager, he said, I liked your letter because you actually named some shows that we did. Great. And he said, uh, I've had, we've had people in the past who write to us and say, oh, I love the office. And it's like, we didn't make that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah. I think it's really important. We, when we pitched in America f- five years ago and one of the things you do and it's just part of the nature of it is 
you go in and you research what they've done and they go mm. and they've researched what you you've done yeah. and you might not have seen it because we're british and they're american and yeah if we were american i think it'd be different and we walk in going ah oh, like i i love a to z it's a great series i love um I, I love um, Undateables. It's a great sitcom. And uh, isn't Chris D'Elia great? And you sort of know everyone and you know their names or whatever. So you can go in and have that conversation. You haven't seen it. You're not going to, they're not going to ask you any questions. And <laughs> I accidentally did that because Big School had been on. And I, we went in and somebody went, oh, I, I love your show, Big School. And I was like, oh, how did you see it? And Because I was like, it's not been on. And we didn't send you it. We sent you a script, but we didn't oh, send you God. it. And And they just went cool so i think we should start the meeting um like just totally glossed over it it was brilliant because it's like of course you haven't seen it it's like we just that's what you say but i think it, the important thing is to show you care acknowledge it research. yeah yeah definitely whilst we're on the subject of america very quickly yeah did you get asked to write on community yeah so chris mckenna sent my brother a, a tweet showing that difference in house prices between la and london and just did that retweeted something and my brother t- sort of just went, this is weird. I imagine it's spam. And then Chris McKenna had to write going, oh, God, sorry, this wasn't spam. I, what I'm trying to suggest is you should move to L.A. because um, we're trying to staff oh. up the room for community. Um, we'd worked a bit just before that with Megan Gantz, who also r- worked on community. Yes. Uh, we, we got her into script edit on a thing that we were doing for ITV. Uh, and she's amazing. She's an amazing writer and has an amazing comic brain. And she script edits so many shows, doesn't she? Oh, she's like you know she's doing all, it's always sunny and and she did, but she you know she's been across Modern Family and yeah. like her rise has been amazing and she's so deserving of it and and just such a lovely person as well. Um, so yeah, we're very lucky to work with her. I don't know if she'd spoken to Chris or whether he'd he. I know he followed Andy on Twitter or they chatted and. So then we got into these discussions about it, but the problem was that the timing was that they were probably going to have to start writing in about two, three weeks from when we got to this stage of chatting. And, you know, we were still in the possibility and we it was like, we did send stuff over, sure. but I think we ended up going, I think we can't do this because, like, we can't move. Andy and Tim both have, like, families and I had a partner and it was like, we just can't suddenly up and move to LA to do this. No. But that's when we started. That gave us our reason to go to America and go, oh, I think we might be, have a bit of currency here now yeah, where we didn't before. The final section of the show now is, it's called Change of Character. Right, okay. Because <laughs> I can't use I like chain it. reaction. Okay. So, uh, and hopefully by this point, I won't have to keep explaining to the listeners, but I will anyway. It is where I give you the name of a character, which was given to me by the previous guest, and I ask you to come up with who you think that character is. Right. Just what comes to mind, who they are, perhaps their occupation, their hopes and dreams, etc., etc. What newspaper they read and what they do with the lemon. <laughs> exactly. And then... Uh, I shall ask you to then give me a character name to pass on to my next guest. Wonderful. Your name that has been gifted to you by Harry Hayes <laughs> is Shilliam Wakespeare. Shilliam Wakespeare. Yep. That's amazing. It took her a long time to come up with that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> Shilliam Wakespeare. Okay. I. By the way, brilliant. Um, Shilliam Wakespeare um, is... Um, the guy who grew up exactly the same time as Shakespeare, um, but like five houses down, <laughs> he basically tried to do everything else that Shakespeare was doing, but just didn't get that break that Shakespeare got. Um, I feel like 
he's embittered and uh yeah very very embittered but confident in himself uh and just wants one win in life that he'll never ever get um i think he reads the guardian and if you gave him a lemon he <laughs> would throw it at a shakespeare play oh, he, he's probably uh, 30 now and probably um still writing still thinks he's got a chance and uh he's been putting on his plays at the <laughs> at the at the at the to- at the, the Thobe theater um which is his smaller theater down the road um and dare i ask what some of his plays are called <laughs> the shaming of the true um which is a a very deep meaningful uh piece about uh somebody who is denied his truths um and <laughs> nelf twite um but it's it's just a classic classic uh, tale of twins um yeah as they all are the the problem is all most of his plays are about people who are not quite twins they're about 2 years apart um and right. so the confusion's not that unclear <laughs> so in in his ones people get separated but they quickly recognize each other because he's like he wants to be more true to the the real world so yeah um that's uh, Shillian Wakespeare. Shillian Wakespeare. I love it. <laughs> that is terrific. So can you please tell me the name of the character you are going to give my next guest? <laughs> There's a name uh, that we've always used and never put into a piece, which I like for very particular reasons. Yes. But uh, has never has never come up, but I, I, it's a constant that we use. So the name I'd like to give to your next person, uh, next interviewee, is Jeff Brunswick. Jeff Brunswick. The the reason I love it is because whenever I need like the name of a mate or something like that, that you need to, he's, <laughs> he's very specifically a two named guy. He's not Jeff. He's Jeff Brunswick. Jeff Brunswick. Uh, the best place to use him personally, I think, is in a big sci-fi drama <laughs> where everyone's got really cool names and somebody is just like, we need to get in contact with Jeff Brunswick. And it's like, you know, there's something just so energy killing about his name that um, uh, I've always loved it. Oh, that is great. So who is Jeff Brunswick? We shall find out in the next episode of Out of Character. Now, Steve, uh, I realize we haven't had a chance to talk about your currently twice award nominated yes. podcast yes there's been a huge admin error at the british podcast awards and we've got two podcast nominations yeah not only up for the comedy award amongst like ridiculous people ridiculously brilliant people yes it's incredible i don't understand how that's happened um i'm definitely <laughs> not a performer i should not be up there and uh but best creativity award uh which is uh the one that i'm more even more proud of because the amount of time and effort we all put into that podcast to try and make it a bit more different and interesting uh but so we do this podcast called mind canyon uh it's a mockumentary podcast that we improvise with brilliant improvisers from london and when it's all finished improvising we soundscape it with an inch of its life so it sounds beautiful and everyone sounds like the places that they're they're supposed to be in so it sounds more like a radio lab uh, episode or something like that and hopefully if we've done a good job most of them but not all but it doesn't matter tend to tell a story and tie up at the end um somehow they do always tie up at the end that's what's so 
so amazing about it. You, oh, you do you. you do completely blow out the world in a ridiculous way, and then somehow find its way back to the to the, to the core of it, to the centre of it. Yeah, I've been going to salsa classes. Move it, move okay. like yeah. the passion is inside you. You're kind of bashing up against me. Yes, bit. and of course you've been learning how to code. Yes, now put the data into the computer. So there's that, uh, which is uh, so we're very proud that that's in there, and also. Uh, Dave Williams' marvelous musical podcast, which we wrote a little bit on, has also up for two. So technically, I'm up for four. Weirdly, at the awards, which is un- unbelievable. Brilliant. Well, I guess because by the time this goes out, depending, uh, congratulations on the awards. Thank you. Thank you. Or commiserations. I know, uh, such a shame, but the best people won. Thank you again so much for being my guest, no the worries. High Lord of Comedy, Steve Dawson. <laughs> it's always fun to chat. I need to get back to my minions now. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to do this. That weird kadook that yeah, lights well, going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious. 